question. I was in that big ice storm came through. Today I think they're projecting for tornadoes and hell and all sorts of stuff. So y'all might be telling me stay away. Because every time we come, there's a chance of bad weather. It is really good to be here. And uh, before I get started, I want to... I think I forgot to... I want to express my thanks to this congregation. It's a really challenging time for kids to transition from being under the authority of their homes, transitioning to the independence of being an adult. And I'm so thankful that I chose to go to school at WT and to make this congregation my home. And I'm very thankful for the the leadership, the accountability, and the love that was shown to, to me and to all of the all the kids that come come here. It's a wonderful blessing for me and and I'm I'm very thankful. I'm thankful for the opportunity to share what I am going to present from the from God's word this morning. Carrie, thank you for the prayer. And I hope that the study will be helpful for you. I want to begin in Romans chapter eight, verse fourteen this morning. The Bible says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The Bible talks about when you and I become Christians, that we're adopted into the family of God. We we become the sons, we become the daughters of God. And one of the wonderful blessings that we have is the leadership of the Spirit. When there's no leadership, there's chaos, there's craziness. And God has provided you and I the leadership of the Spirit to guide us through this life. And as I look back in my life, even when I was a Christian, there were times that the Spirit was leading me to walk righteously, to do God's will. And I chose to do things my own way. I choose to ignore that blessing and to do things my own way. And you might have similar situations going on in your mind tonight or today. And it doesn't always end up very well. So it's a wonderful blessing that we have. Galatians chapter 5, verse 18 says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So this leadership of the Spirit is something that is a biblical concept. It's something that the Bible talks about. But there might be a lot of questions about how exactly the Holy Spirit leads you and I today. And so a question that you might have is, well, how does He lead us? And if you were to go out into Amarillo or any other place and to visit with people and ask them, how's the Spirit leading you? You're going to find a lot of different answers. And the way that we answer this question is going to make a huge impact on your life and my life. Because many people are turning to the wrong places for this leadership. And I want to share a couple of personal examples with you to illustrate why this is an important question for us to know the answer. When I was in college, we lived in an apartment complex there in Canyon, and some missionaries knocked on my door and wanted they asked me you want to talk about god and jesus and i said oh yeah definitely so we set up an appointment they came back later on and we discussed for an hour and a half i think they figured out they weren't getting anywhere but they had a technique that they used and they said well tell us about what's going on inside of you tell tell me about your feelings you are you a little anxious Are you a little nervous? And I said, yes. And they tried to interpret my feelings for me and tell me, well, that's the Holy Spirit working on you, trying to convict you to read this book that will help you to understand the Bible better. It's God's divine revelation. 
And that's an important lesson for you and I today. Don't ever let anybody interpret your feelings for you or to tell you what they mean. But these guys are trying to lead me down a path that was wrong. Much different than what the Bible teaches. And so I had an opportunity to be led down the wrong path. And these people were telling me that God was using my feelings to guide me. There's a woman, there's another example. There's a woman I know in Plainview who got a flyer. She had just moved to Plainview, was going through a troublesome time in in, in her life. A lot of family problems, health issues. And she got this flyer in the mail of a local church. And she had this unordinary desire to read about this church. And she thought, man, that's weird. And so she began to read about it, and she set it down aside, and she was going to throw it away later. But she had a curiosity about, well, what's the church like there? And how's it organized and all these things? And she decided that she was going to attend this church. And when she got there, she said, this is the place that God wants me. God gave me those feelings. He gave me the desire to read about this church. And this desire and this curiosity came from God to go be a part of this congregation. And when you sit down with her and you show her what the Bible teaches about the organization of the church, you teach her what the Bible says about how the church should function and how the worship assembly should go and being careful about false teachers. She says, I know that, but God gave me these feelings. He wants me there. He led me to that church. And so her feelings have guided her there. One more example. Another lady I know moved across the Pacific Ocean to be in Plainview because of a dream that she was given by God in her mind. And this desire to be close to some family that lived in Plainview. And so she kept having this dream about opening up this business. And God was telling her, this is the place for you in this dream. And so she moved to Plainview. The business, I don't believe, was successful. I don't know where she is. Now I haven't been able to communicate with her But every day, people believe that God are sending them dreams about how that they can have success in their lives, what His plan is. And when it doesn't work out, what do they do? They get mad and they turn away from God and stop seeking Him. You see, all three of these examples, how does the Spirit lead us, directly affects our lives, our our souls, and our relationship with God. So this morning, I want to answer that question for each of us. And I've simply entitled my lesson, Led by the Spirit. The phrase led by the Spirit is found four times in the New Testament. Two times is talking about Jesus Christ when he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the two other times we've already looked at. And I want to look at those and see what exactly the Bible's talking about whenever it's talking about being led by the Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, I want to look at the context. We're not going to read this. This is your homework this afternoon. When you go home, Read Romans 8 and back up the things that I'm going to teach you. But what I want to do is just simply highlight the theme that is in this chapter. Does this have anything to do with the Spirit giving us divine revelations, leading us through various ways? If you look at the green highlight, you'll see that words like according to the flesh, through the flesh, the sinful flesh, those things are highlighted. Skipping down to verse 5, he talks about living according to the flesh. He talks about things of the flesh, to be carnally minded. He talks about living in the flesh. 
And go on down through 10, down to 14. For as many as, for many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now let's go back and see what he's contrasting. If you look at the yellow, he's talking about not living according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Down here he talks about according to the Spirit again. He talks about being spiritually minded, not being in the flesh. He talks about the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. All the way down to verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, we didn't exactly read that, but we can get a pretty, pretty good idea what the Bible is teaching here. He's not talking about God giving us feelings or desires. God communicating and leading us through these various and mysterious ways. He's talking about the flesh leading us out of a fleshly... or He's talking about the Spirit leading us out of a fleshly lifestyle... To follow God, to live spiritually, to walk spiritually, to follow the things of the Spirit. It has nothing to do with divine revelation from God. What about the other verse in Galatians chapter 5? Let's read this passage. Here he says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. These are two completely different books of the Bible. Completely different people receiving the message, but it's the exact same message. The flesh and the Spirit are working against each other. And you and I as Christians have to forsake the flesh and to walk in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. These are the only two passages in the New Testament that use this phrase, being led by the Spirit. Does it have anything to do with the Spirit leading us to move to a different place or to choose this particular career path or do whatever? That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about forsaking the fleshly life and to live a righteous life. We've got a simple table to summarize the parallels of these two, uh, two passages. He talks about walking according to the Spirit in both uh, passages. He talks about Christians being those who do not walk according to the flesh or those who shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh in Galatians 5. He talks about the consequences of living in the flesh. In Romans 8.13, he says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. And in Galatians 5.21, he says, You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 8 Talks about putting to death the deeds of the body, getting rid of those, putting those desires away. Galatians 5.24 talks about crucifying the flesh with its passions and its desires. And then finally, Romans 8.14 talks about being led by the Spirit. And the same thing for Galatians 5.18. These have nothing to do with divine revelation. Absolutely nothing. Galatians 5 goes on to list some examples of what walking in the flesh looks like. He says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what walking in the flesh looks like. It's those sinful things that you and I are tempted by. But if we're led by the Spirit, we're going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. 
as he talks about in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. So I, want to take, I wanted to take the time to look at those two passages to make it clear in everybody's mind that this phrase, being led by the Spirit, has nothing to do with receiving divine revelation, the Spirit leading us to go to this place or to do that. That's not what the Bible's talking about. But you might have the question, does the Spirit speak to us today? Is He speaking to you? Is He speaking to me? And how can we know whether He is or not? I want to answer this, and I want to look at a few ideas that are common in the world. Like my friend who believed that God was giving her feelings and desires, a lot of people think, well, God is speaking to us through our hearts. You might hear phrases like, well, God put it on my heart to do this or, or to do that. Another phrase that you might hear is, this desire in my heart is so strong, it must be from God. Or I felt the Spirit moving me to do this or to do that. Let's look at what the Bible says about the heart. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the Bible says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart is deceitful above all things. That means there's nothing else that is more deceitful than the heart of man. It's the most deceitful thing. And besides that, it's desperately wicked. That's not, not a very good qualifier for putting our trust, is it? Ecclesiastes 9 verse 3, This is an evil and all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. Not only are our hearts full of evil, deceitful, but they're also full of madness. That word madness is translated as a, a word meaning foolishness. Things that are important to us, are we going to trust someone with that kind of resume? Let's say you have $10,000 in the bank, and you decide, I'm going to invest it in a local business here in town. And you bring in a bunch of different business owners, and, t- and you ask them, why should I invest my money with you? And someone says, well, I'm desperately wicked, and I'm deceitful, and I'm foolish. Are you going to hand your money? You're going to run away. Because our money's important to us, and we want it to work for us and make us more money. What about babysitters? If we're trying to find a babysitter so we can go out on a date, are we going to trust someone like that with our kids? Absolutely not. It's a pretty bad resume. That's the resume that the heart of man has. And many people today are choosing to follow their hearts and to trust their hearts with their soul, the most important possession that we have. It's a very foolish decision. Notice what Jesus says about the heart. In Mark chapter 7, verse 21, he says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. We live in a society that says, Do what you want to do, follow your heart etc. And that's why our society is filled with this kind of stuff. This is what our society does and practices. It's very common because our society believes this idea to follow your heart, to follow your pursuits and your desires. And sadly, many Christians have taken 
that idea and tried to meld it with Christianity. And they'll say, I know what the Bible says about doing this or doing that, but I have this desire that God has given me, and He wants me to be happy. And many different ways of justifying sin or justifying something that they know that are wrong. And they say, God is leading me to do this, and He's telling me that it's okay. The reality is, is that God is in the business of cleaning up our lives, sanctifying our lives, but the heart is in the business of defiling a man. That's what verse 23 says. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a man. So if we're going to follow our hearts and to trust our hearts, it's going to lead us to a more wicked life, and an unrighteous life. One of the things that he mentions there in verse 22 is that deceit comes out of the heart of man. And you and I are capable of deceiving ourselves. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 18, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. You and I are capable of deceiving ourselves. Sadly, I've done that before. And you may have done it. And there are people all over the world who have deceived themselves and told themselves, I know what the Word says, but I'm going to choose to do what I want to do and I'll be okay. Is that the way it works? It's not. I want to look at an example of a group of people who ignored the Word of God, who did not do what He said. In Exodus chapter 25... Verse 12 through 14, the Bible uh, records God giving the instructions for his people on how they were to carry the Ark of the Covenant. In Acts 25, it says, But you shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side and two rings on the other side. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings of the sides of the ark, that the ark may be carried by them. And so, this was obviously important enough to God that he laid out the instructions for carrying this ark. This was a sacred situation. And God wanted them to carry the ark in his way. And I've got a picture that kind of illustrates this. You You see the two poles right here, not there, and these rings right here. This was the way that God's people were supposed to carry the ark. This was the way. But we see an example in 1 Chronicles 13 where they didn't do this. Here in this situation, the Philistines had possession of the Ark of the Covenant. And things were not going well for them while they had it. So they decided, we're going to get rid of the Ark of the Covenant. We don't want it anymore. And God's people had just gotten the Ark back. And they were going to carry it back. And notice what they do in verse 70. It says, so they carried the Ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahau drove the cart. So they willingly disobeyed the word of God. They put it on a cart instead of carrying it with the poles like God instructed. Notice what happens in verse 8. The Bible says, Then David and all Israel played music before God with all their might. It talks about singing and, and playing instruments and goes on and on. I want you to think about, take yourself back to this situation. Take yourself back to this situation and think about the kind of emotions that were going through these people. 
They hadn't had the Ark of the Covenant. They had just gotten it back. This was a great time for celebration. They were so excited. And the Bible says that they played music before God with all their might. Don't you love it when we come to a worship assembly and everybody's singing out and the song just gives you chills to hear everyone coming together? That's the kind of thing that was going on. This was a great celebration going on for the, these people. They felt good. They felt right. They felt like that they were honoring God. But all the while, they were disobeying God's word. And in verse 9, the Bible says, And when they came to Kedon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. So Uzzah received a, a pretty harsh punishment. And David was mad because God struck Uzzah down. But the reality was, is God was angry at his people because they were not doing what he told them to do. And Uzzah paid the consequences. Even though it felt right for everybody, they weren't right. It was wrong. And Uzzah received the punishment for it. So even though it felt good and their hearts were involved and they were sincerely trying to do right, they were not. And they were punished because of it. Look at what Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six says. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Very simple. If you trust your heart and place your relationship with God in the hands of your heart to lead you and to guide you, you're a fool. Proverbs 14, verse 12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. It might feel right. It might seem right. Everything might be right. But if it's not in line with the scripture, then it's wrong. And in, in the way, uh, it's the way of death. So we see over and over and over. We've looked at just a few of the passages where God talks about the heart. It's very obvious that God wouldn't say these things. And then specifically, 2,000 years later, use the heart to be the conduit to send messages to his people. That's not the way it would work. He doesn't use the heart to, to lead us. Jesus provides us an example of what to do when our hearts or our feelings and God's word are against each other. John 12, verse 27, Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Everything inside of him, his feelings, his desires, was troubled. He wasn't excited about going to the cross. His feelings, his heart said, get away. But he knew what God's will was. And so he suppressed those feelings and chose to follow the word of God. And that's what you and I need to do today. So does the Spirit speak to our hearts today? The answer is no. He's not going to lead us and guide us away from Scripture to obey or to disobey Scripture and to follow our hearts. What about through dreams and visions? We talked about this a little earlier. I've, I've talked to people who said, God told me through a dream. Or I saw in a vision. People talk about these kind of things. And they believe that they received a message from God a divine revelation from God through dreams and visions. What does the Bible talk or say about this? Jeremiah 29, verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> the Bible says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. These dreams that these people were having, 
Who caused those? Themselves. Verse 9, he says, For, your, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. God used to speak to people through dreams and visions. And people had a temptation to believe that every little thing, every little dream was some message and that they needed an interpreter to tell them what these dreams meant. But God says, I didn't send these dreams. You sent those dreams. You caused them. And today the same is true. Who causes the dreams that we have ourselves? You know, when I was in college, I used to have nightmares about trying to take a test and not having a pencil. Well, finally get a pencil. Well, where's my calculator? Didn't have my calculator. Well, I don't have any paper. And I read my test and just, I'd wake up exhausted from those nightmares I was having when I was in college. But I don't have those kind of dreams anymore. Why? Because I don't spend my time studying and, and thinking about those exams. Now I have nightmares about tearing up the crops or crashing a tractor or doing something else on the farm. Because that's what my mind is on. We think we have a tendency to dream about things that are on our mind. And sometimes we face difficulties in our lives, don't we? We have spiritual problems. And we'll go to sleep thinking about those things. And then those situations will invade our dreams. Is that God speaking to us? Or is it just our thoughts causing us to dream those things? The reality is, is we cause those things. And God's not sending us those messages. God used to speak to people through dreams. And I want to look at why. What was the purpose of those dreams and those messages that God was giving? In Acts chapter 2, verse 17 through 18, Peter says, this was the day of Pentecost. Peter gets up and he begins to preach on the day of Pentecost. Jesus had been crucified. The church was not yet in existence. And the Bible says in Acts 2, 17 through 18, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. So Peter here is preaching to these Jews, and he's trying to convict them and to tell them, uh, tell them about this prophecy found in Joel chapter two. Joel said, "I'm going to pour out my spirit. The spirit is going to be given in a great abundance, and a part of that will be these spiritual gifts, the ability to prophesy or to give a message from God, the ability to see visions and dreams, and to have an understanding that no person would have except the spirit gave them." So Peter says, "This is coming to pass. The church was to be able to to do these things because of the spirit." Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 12, we have a passage that tells us that those things would eventually go away. Those spiritual gifts would go away. And we have a timeline that we can, kind of, that we can construct based off this passage. And so I want to unpack what 1 Corinthians 13 talks about. It says, love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge... It will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. 
For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. So he's talking about love, and then he talks about these spiritual gifts going away. And then he uses these analogies to help explain that. Now I want to I look at those two analogies to give us a better idea of what's going on. Verse, uh, I think it's verse 11 says, When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. What is he talking about there? He's talking about the maturation of a man. A man puts away things of a child and grows up. When he's fully matured, it's time to grow up, it's time to be a man. And he uses this analogy to explain the maturation of, of the church. When the church was in its infant stages, there would be things that the church would need, those spiritual gifts. But Paul says there's going to be a time where the church is fully matured and it would have not it would have no need of those spiritual gifts. In verse 12 he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. When he's talking about a mirror, he's not talking about the mirrors that we might have in our houses with our big, bright LED lights and perfect reflection that we can see in our mirrors so we can fix every hair or to check and make sure it's all gone. He's talking about looking in like a window at nighttime when you can kind of see your reflection, but you can't really see that good. He's talking about now, that's the way we see, but there's going to come a time where we will see really clearly. What is he talking about there? He's talking about this transition from seeing more clearly. Many of you, I see, have glasses. Some of you have contacts or maybe have had surgery to help your vision out. I remember the first day I got my glasses, I had no idea what I was missing out on. After I got my glasses, I, I was probably around 10 or 11 years old. And I remember looking out the window at the doctor's office. And across the street, there was this big, beautiful tree. And for the first time, I could see each individual leaf. And I was amazed of what I had been missing out on. I used to not be able to see good, but now I can see more clearly. And you couldn't pay me a million dollars to take off those glasses. And the whole way home, I was looking at everything and thinking, wow, what are all these things that I've missed out on? And that's the idea that Paul's talking about here. You can see dimly now, but there's going to come a time where we can see more clearly. And he uses that as an illustration to show to these people, now you understand God's will, kind of, sort of, dimly, But there's going to come a time where you can understand God's will very clearly. And you'll be able to understand it fully. Now as we look at those two analogies, it helps us to understand what's above those. In verse 8 he says, Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. So these specific things, they're going to go away. And he's talking about that man putting away the childish thing. What is the childish thing of the church? It was those gifts of the Spirit. Prophecy, tongues, knowledge, visions, and dreams. Those were the things that God's people needed until the Bible had been written. When those Jews on the day of Pentecost became Christians, did Peter stand at the edge of the water and hand them a Bible and say, Here you go, follow it? No, because the Bible hadn't been written yet. 
And God's people needed a way to understand God's will. And so God gave them these spiritual gifts until the time that the Bible was written. And so there would be this transition. The Word of God would come. In John 16, 13, the Spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. And so when that Spirit of truth had fully done His job and had provided the Word of God, what would happen? Those gifts of the Spirit would go away, and the Word of God would be all that God's people needed to focus on. When that which is perfect has come, and that which is in part will be done away with. And so the need for visions and dreams eventually went away. And today, when people try to go back and to try to go back to these spiritual gifts and say, we need dreams to understand God's will. We need visions to understand God's will. It's like a man putting on a diaper and sucking out of a baby bottle. It's not what needs to happen. It's like a person who has glasses, taking those glasses off and putting a bandana over the eyes and saying, that's better for me to see that way. It doesn't make sense. We have the perfect, revealed will of God. We don't need dreams and visions today. We have everything that we need. So does the Spirit speak to us today? The answer is not through our dreams or visions. How does He speak to us? Through the Word of God. 2 Peter 1.21, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit moved men to open up or to, to write those things down so that when we could open up our Bibles and begin to read, we could read the words of the Spirit and we can know exactly what the will is for you and for I. Prophecy never came by the will of man. You can't will that. God doesn't speak to us that way. He has given us the Holy Spirit. Now, you might have questions. What about these little trivial things in my life? The kind of person I should pursue in marriage? Or maybe a career path? What about what I'm going to eat to, for lunch today? Has God given us specific instructions about these little trivial matters in our lives? Can we understand the will of God? I know there's a lot of people here who would say that God's will is for every kid to go to school at WT. Isn't that right? But does God expect us to know His will on all these things? Deuteronomy 29.29 provides some instruction for us when it comes to this the bible says the secret things belong to the lord our god but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law this passage is talking about two aspects of knowledge about god's will there are some things that god has kept secret and then there are some things that god has revealed to us so that we may follow and obey those things let's think about this a little bit before we close, the unrevealed will of God in the New Testament, in the book of James chapter 4, we find some instruction that helps us to understand what we need to do with the things that we're not exactly sure about. In James chapter 4, he's chastising this men who were, these men who had made plans, and they were going to go out, and they were going to go to this city, they were going to make money, and they hadn't even thought about, you know, there's a reality this ain't going to work, or there's a possibility this ain't going to work. But these men had assumed that everything would go and status quo would happen and no problems would exist. And he chastises them for forgetting about the will of God. 
And he says, Come now you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. We will spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or do that. These men had forgotten all about the will of God. What was God's will for their lives? And they had just assumed that they could just go do this, and they weren't even thinking about the will of God. But we can find some instruction that helps us to understand what God's will, or helps us in this particular study of understanding the unrevealed will of God. He says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or do that. There's two aspects of this passage or this phrase. Number one, that word if at the beginning, that means that it's unknown. We don't know what his will is. And so we are not expected to know every little detail of our lives and what God's will is for us to do this or to do that. You go and do it. He says, you go and do that and make plans and go try to accomplish them. And if the Lord wills, we're going to do it. That's all he expects us to do. Secondly, if you look, there's no mention about the Holy Spirit giving dreams or visions or feelings about how we are to live. You go do it, make plans. You do what you think is right as best as you can. And if the Lord wills, then it'll happen. So when it comes to the unrevealed will of God, there's mystery. And we don't know everything, but we're not expected to. But on the other side, with the revealed will of God, we are expected to know. And Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them... <clears throat> I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see, these people were trying to do all these great things and these wonderful, miraculous things. All the while, they they were neglecting to obey the will of God. They were practicing lawlessness. In verse 24, he says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. So notice, there's no if and or but about it. We are expected to know what God's will is. We are expected to know what's been revealed. It's going to take work. and It's going to take effort to open up our Bibles and to study. But we are expected to know what's been revealed. And secondly, the Holy Spirit has spoken. And we're expected to obey those things found in the Word of God. So when you go out and visit with people, a lot of people are focused on these things that are on the left side. What's God's will for my love life? Or what's God's will for how many kids I'm going to have? Or the career path? Or all these other things. That's not where our focus should be. Our focus should be on the revealed will of God. And a lot of these other things are going to take care of themselves. He says, Jesus says, if you build your life on the revealed will of God, it's like building your house on a foundation of rock. Building your house on a foundation of dreams or visions or feelings is like building your house on shaky ground. And we never know what's going to come next. But if we choose to build our house or build our lives on the foundation of God's word, we're like a wise man who chose to build his house on a rock. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, the Bible says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. 
and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly or thoroughly equipped for every good work. You and I can be complete, whole. We have everything we need in Scripture. We don't need other books. We don't need feelings or dreams or other sort of divine revelation from the Word, except for the Word of God. That's all we need. And you and I can be thoroughly equipped. We can be complete as Christians. God has given us everything we need and doesn't expect us to have any more. This morning, I want to close with Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. The Bible says, He who has an ear, let him hear. We're all here this morning. We want to hear what God has spoken, what the Spirit says. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. We talked about at the beginning of the sermon how God has given us leadership by the Spirit. And He will lead us and guide us and help us through the obstacles in our lives. Will help us through those troubles and those challenges that we face. He says, to him who overcomes. Why do we want to overcome these challenges and to forsake living after the flesh? Because what's at the end of the road, that, that road that the Spirit leads us down. The Spirit is leading His people to the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of the God. When was the last time you thought about what was at the destination of the road you're walking down in your life? What's, the, what's at the end of the road? Is it this tree of life in the midst of the paradise of God, or is it something else? That's a really important question that each person needs to think about. And if this morning you find yourself curious or worried about not being on this road that leads to the paradise of God, the church here wants to help you get on that road. In Acts chapter 2, Peter tells us how we can do that. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when you and I become Christians, we're baptized and we repent of our sins, we receive two gifts. Number one, our sins are washed away. And number two, we are given the Holy Spirit. And He leads and guides His people to this paradise of God. And if you have not done that this morning, you can take care of that. And you can get on that road and begin your walk to this paradise of God. If you are a Christian this morning, maybe you got off that road. You veered off to the left or the right. And chose to do something else. Chose to follow some other guidance besides the leadership of the Spirit. We want to help you if you have a need. We could pray for you and help you get back on track. So we're going to sing an invitation song that's been selected. And if you have a spiritual need this morning, please let the church come help you. Come and sit on one of these front pews and one of the elders will help you as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.